Welcome to another episode of the SaaS Podcast. I'm your host, Omar Khan, and this is the show where I interview proven founders and industry experts who share their stories, strategies, and insights to help you build, launch, and grow your SaaS business. Today's interview is with Kevin Lee. Kevin is the founder and CEO of WeCare, a service that allows online shoppers to donate a percentage of their online shopping at no cost to them to a nonprofit, school, or association. It's partnered with over 2,500 merchants from Travelocity to Sears, 1-800-Flowers and Apple, and to date, WeCare has raised over $6.7 million. Kevin is also the co-founder and CEO of Didit, an award-winning full-service online advertising and marketing services agency that has been in business for almost 20 years. There's a world where your CRM is powerful, easily configured, and deeply intuitive. Atio makes that a reality. Atio is built specifically for the next generation of companies. It syncs with your data sources, easily configures to their unique structures, and works for any go-to-market motion from self-serve to sales-led. Atio automatically enriches your contacts, syncs your emails and calendar, gives you powerful reports, and lets you quickly build Zapier-style automations. The next generation of companies deserve more than an inflexible, one-size-fits-all CRM. Join 11 Labs, Replicate, modal, and more, and scale your startup to the next level. Get your free account at atio.com. That's A-T-T-I-O dot com. Hey there, SaaS founders. Are you looking to grow your B2B SaaS business to the first million in annual recurring revenue? I've got something that can help you. Introducing the SaaS Club newsletter, your weekly source of proven strategies, practical insights, and exclusive interviews with successful B2B SaaS founders who have been in your shoes and are ready to share what they've learned. Each week, you'll get a quick five-minute read delivered straight to your inbox, full of growth tactics, lessons learned, and insider tips to help you tackle those early stage challenges and grow your business to seven figures and beyond. So what are you waiting for? Head over to sasclub.io slash newsletter and join over 4,000 other SaaS founders and entrepreneurs who are already using these insights to grow their businesses. Subscribe to the SaaS Club newsletter today and get the support you need to keep moving forward on your SaaS journey. Kevin, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Omar. And uh, actually, I guess our bios are out of date because we're at about 7.8 million raised for nonprofit so far on WeCare. So wow. please report the higher number. That's awesome. So now, before we talk about WeCare, tell our audience a little bit about yourself. Who is Kevin when he's not working? Well, you know, with two different companies, uh, I do spend a majority of my time uh, working, but certainly family life is really important. I've got a six-year-old and an eight-year-old, so I spend a fair amount of time with them. I'm in charge of bookending the day, so I I do breakfast (laughs) and I do uh, just before bedtime, so there's that. And uh, the family as a whole really enjoys beaches. So we have a, a beach house on Fire Island in New York, which is one of the oceanfront communities. So we've got a, a house there. It's closer to Manhattan than the Hamptons are, but it's essentially the same beach. And then, uh, you know, we tend to take beach type vacations. So we, we spend a fair amount of time doing that, that as well. Awesome. Now, we like to kick things off with a success quote to better understand what drives and motivates our guests. What is one of your favorite quotes? You know, I, I, I guess, um, I'm not sure if it's, a, it's attributable to anyone else uh, in particular, but I find that in um, most business relationships, it's really about 
and sometimes in the business plan itself. It's about trying to determine if you can find sort of win-win scenarios for all the various partners. So that could just be uh, a, a two group partnership where it's just win-win or it could be a triangular partnership where there's a win-win-win or they could even get get more complicated as you start to add more brands or business entities into the mix. And, um, you know, if one always comes at it from this sort of trying to architect the win-win perspective, it forces one into the other person's shoes when thinking about how one might do business together or how a business might run. Uh, and I think it's helped me come up with a variety of business ideas uh, over the trying to think about, you know, how do we, how do we make everybody happier at the end of the day? That's a, that's a great philosophy and a great attitude to have in, in business. Now you, you, you established um, or launched, did it uh, back in the nineties. Um, can you tell me a little bit about that? What, why did you get into that business? Sure. Well, Did It's business has transformed uh, several times in the 19 years that we've been doing it. Uh, so in the beginning, there was actually uh, a need for search engine submissions. So uh, we came up with uh, sort of just in some brainstorming, my business partner, I and uh, one former partner came up with this idea that uh, you could do better than the submitted service, which was a search engine submission service by actually monitoring the status of a particular URL in the search engines and automatically resubmitting any time that the submission didn't seem to stick. And so uh, since the original service that we were trying to improve upon was called Submit It, uh, we came up with Did It as sort of the next iteration of submission. And uh, that business uh, took off pretty quickly. And from there, people asked us to get into organic SEO and uh, from then, uh, we were one of the first uh, groups to buy paid search clicks from goto.com, uh, which was the predecessor to Overture, which became Yahoo's search platform. And as you know, the industry's continued to evolve around that. So, um, yeah, then it's been around a long time. And, and you know, we've, now we're still very search centric in our business, but we've, you know, we're a full service digital shop at this point. Okay. So let's talk, uh, before we get into the more details of, of We Care, can you tell our audience just a little bit more about that business? Who are your, your target customers there and, and what, what's the problem you're trying to solve? Well, really, the, the problem is one of, of uh, social good. Uh, you know, we see nonprofits as having an increasingly difficult time uh, meeting their goals and objectives. Uh, due to fiscal constraints, uh, and also due to marketing constraints. And um, we sort of thought, hey, wouldn't it be great to figure out how to uh, build a business that could do well and do good at the same time with, with cause marketing at the center, uh, with the concept of cause marketing being that, you know, there's, a, there's some kind of a cause typically a nonprofit cause uh, that is aligned with a for-profit uh, business in many cases, and you see things like co-branded boxes of, of of things in the grocery store that are the more traditional forms of of uh, cause marketing. But we looked at it from the pr- perspective of let's empower the consumer and make it consumer centric. So uh, you and I, what we do every day, and everyone listening is worth money to marketers. If I could figure out how to capture that value 
and, and harness it and charge marketers for that value that we all represent as, as individuals and as business owners, uh, that would be a really cool way to give back to charity if we could just split that money that we could harvest uh, and, and harness uh, from individuals online shopping and online searching and eventually even more sophisticated uh, changes in, in perception and, and uh, attitudes. But uh, that was the genesis behind the, the We Care idea. Uh, the original technology that, that we invented never took off, but that was the original genesis. So as with many software startups, you don't always end up where you started. Let, let's talk a little bit about, about that. What happened with the technology? So my initial uh, thinking was that it would be great to do this at an organizational level. So um, I invented an idea and then had coders code a partially transparent proxy server that would allow a college or university or a company or a hospital to basically monetize all the traffic inside its LAN by just using our upstream DNS instead of their existing DNS. And then we would tunnel uh, any monetizable traffic through this partially transparent proxy server. And I went and have a patent pending on it and everything. And so we built this. We actually spent probably about $160,000 building a prototype of this. And I thought, well, this should be a no-brainer. I should be able to go to any university and say, hey, look, your students are buying books online. They're buying all sorts of other stuff online. It's a highly... Uh, digitally savvy audience, so they're going to over-index on online purchases, and uh, all you have to do is turn it on. It's super easy. You just have to, to you know, either use a copy of our DNS or on-site or just change your upstream DNS to, to ours. And I could never get anybody to do it, even though it was free, uh, because IT teams at universities, you know, locked down universities super tight, and they just didn't want to have to deal with anything for a mere half a million dollars a year worth of incremental revenue, because to them that was just insignificant. So, uh, you know, we went ahead and built the whole thing thinking somebody would want it. And then we tried it at universities. We tried it at, at uh, uh, hospitals. We tr would want to implement it. And then on the company side, there was always some kind of an issue. Either human resources didn't want people shopping at work or, the IT team didn't want to make the change. So it was sort of a brilliant technology that went absolutely nowhere. Okay, so you, you spent about $160,000. How long did it take you to build this, this uh, piece of technology? So it was probably about a six-month uh, period of time. It wasn't, you know, luckily I was still running Did It at the time, so that was paying the rent uh, as we got started. And um, so it was really just sort of a, a side venture that, that we were, were working on, uh, my business partner and I, along with some, some tech people. And did you, use, um, did you use Did It to fund the development of this project? Not directly. I mean, like I said, it was just the fact that I was able to be paying that allowed us to, to have, you know, have the resources to be able to invest in this. Um, so it was, it was sort of like, uh, in other cases, you'll, you'll hear of uh, entrepreneurs or startup, uh, folks, you know, keeping their full-time jobs while they try to bootstrap something on the side. Um, you know, I guess it could, it could be looked at somewhat similar to that, but the difference was that, you know, I actually had hired somebody to be the general manager of it, um, so that I could concentrate on, on, uh, making sure that 
that that did it stayed on track. Okay, so you, you spent six months building this thing, put one hundred and sixty thousand dollars in, and then you suddenly realize that that nobody wants it. What what was the most important lesson that you learned from that experience? I guess it was um, you know talk to a lot of people early on in you know pre development and don't worry about somebody uh, sort of the, the the cat getting out of the bag and and sort of uh, you, you losing your first mover advantage. Uh, which is what I thought. I, you know, I thought I really didn't want to tell anybody about it because I just thought it would be so cool that um, it would be and it would it would take off. So I didn't want anyone else to learn about it and and clone it or build it, even though I had a patent application. And so, you know, for future things that I've built, I've been much more willing to discuss with potential users and discuss with potential buyers. Hey you know, what do you think of this? Is there anything I forgot? Is there anything missing? Uh, would you, would you do this? Would you buy it? Would you, uh, you know, use it in your day to day, that kind of thing. And, uh, you know, getting the feedback of the, the, the folks in the ecosystem has, has been something really valuable. And it was missing to a great extent there, just because I sort of made the assumption that there wouldn't be any impediment to, uh, implementation. What advice would you give to somebody listening to this who who says, yeah, I understand that and rationally I get that I should be going out there and talking to people and getting feedback, but I really believe that what I have is this killer idea and I'm, I just don't want somebody else to, to, to kind of beat me to it. Yeah, I mean, there's always risk. Right, so you have to look at the risk reward ratio for the you know the fact that you may get some other really cool epiphanies while talking to potential customers or potential users uh, versus really being so sure that you got it absolutely right just you know in your initial product spec in your initial product roadmap uh, where you really don't feel like. Uh, there'd be any incremental value from engaging with with your constituents in one way or another. And I, I've just found after having built a lot of different things that uh, the original product roadmap ends up not looking that much like what I end up with nearly every time. And either that means that I was stupid the first time and didn't really get the the idea right or maybe it's just the fact that you know it's impossible to do that and you really do need the wisdom of crowds to help you refine an idea in order to get closer to to what people will want and what will solve their problems okay so this first idea it was it, it failed you know a lot of people would probably have given up at that point and moved on to something else but you didn't do that so what did you do next so I did shelve the original technology for a little while, and uh, I knew how expensive it was to market directly to consumers. So I, I wanted to avoid that initially. And uh, it wasn't until I you know, learned about um, the various places that one could do uh, um, piggyback installs of programs that we've discovered sort of another potential marketing vehicle. So download.com, for example, and other uh, places 
will offer an additional piece of software when you when you install one. And it's pretty common, for example, for the search toolbar businesses, uh, even to partner with major software vendors in order to uh, facilitate trial of their search toolbars. We weren't a search toolbar, but we just learned about the fact that um, because there are situations where uh, there already is a search toolbar on the machine, that a lot of these partnerships basically said, well, I'm not going to put a, a second search toolbar on the machine. Uh, we'll offer something else up as an alternative. And, you know, WeCare's uh, app could have been that alternative. And so we, re, we rewrote the functionality that had initially been remote in a proxy server. We wrote it into uh, something that could be a browser plugin. And that was sort of, you know, what was the catalyst for us sort of reemerging the WeCare idea, but, but doing it at the individual consumer level instead of at the organization or LAN level. So how, how did the browser plugin work? So why would somebody install this and, and what would it do once it was installed on their, on their computer? Yeah, it does the same thing it does now. If anybody wants to, to, to participate and to give through WeCare, they have to have a, a plugin installed? They don't absolutely have to. I mean, we have the web mall and people, people do absolutely do that as well. Uh, we just find that, you know, with, with 3,000 different merchants um, in all these different industry categories, everything from domain registration and hosting to apparel and tax preparation, that it's impossible for people to remember, you know, which uh, merchant partners are in our network and which ones aren't. So our reminder application reminds them as they're surfing around, hey, this one's uh, part of the, the program. So when you see that alert, you know you should prefer that merchant when you see that alert, that alert come up. And if you don't see the alert come up, the reminder alert, then you know not a participating merchant. And maybe you should keep shopping around because if you can find the same price for a merchant that's willing to give a percentage back, that's better for your nonprofit cause. Okay, so you changed the approach on the the technology and moved away from this this DNS server to to this plugin. What was the first big breakthrough for you? Um, it, it's a lot of been a lot of little breakthroughs. So you know, finding some marketing partners who are willing to work with us uh, to um, a- allow us to you know be a replacement when the person already had a search toolbar on their machine uh, was, was great because a lot, you know, some of the people in the industry said, wow, we just think this is a really cool idea. You know, we'll, we'll try to work with you on marketing costs to see if we can come in at a number that works for you. And, you know, that, that was really key. And then just along the way, we just had lots of um, sort of small technological improvements and epiphanies in making the user experience better and making things clearer for consumers along the way. How, how did you market the service? Were you pretty much relying on the merchants to do that for you or were you guys having to go and, and sort of figure a lot of that out as well? We would do it. We would do a lot of that ourselves, you know, through um, uh, alliances with, with software publishers. Uh, either directly or indirectly. Uh, we also had a lot of the nonprofit causes once we were able to reach critical mass and demonstrate the fact that micro donations do actually add up and they're a great way to keep your brand in front of the consumer uh, or supporter. Uh, once, once that we reached critical mass and the nonprofits 
saw the opportunity, uh, they would actually often, uh, you know, I wouldn't say they would market for us per se, but they would certainly, you know, have download links on their sites or, or refer people to our site so that they could uh, check out our, our either our web mall or check out our browser plugins. So looking back at the the last few years, what has been one of the hardest things about building this particular business? Probably the, the hardest thing has been the fact that, um, you know, one of our marketing channels, which was the, uh, the uh, piggyback um, install on top of another piece of software where, where we had this relationship with the software publisher, uh, you know, that industry has, has devolved somewhat. So we've had to, you know, come up with alternative marketing channels uh, that allow us for a, a more direct relationship with, uh, with uh, consumers. You know, one of them just launched uh, last Tuesday, actually, uh, and it's called Sweeps for a Cause. Uh, sweeps the number four and then a cause. And, you know, the idea there is that it's a sweepstakes and it introduces people to our platform and to our uh, browser plugins in the process of allowing them to enter a sweepstakes. Um, and there's a you know, ten thousand dollar prize goes to the winner, and ten thousand goes to their selected nonprofit cause. So it's a philanthropic kind of a sweepstakes. And you know, so we have to come up with with new marketing ideas like that on a regular basis, uh, just to sort of stay nimble and and keep ourselves growing. Now, from doing research for for this interview, I learned that um, did you did you um, get even sort of deeper into the hole with with um, we care before you guys started getting some traction? Uh, oh, sure. I mean, now uh, you know we had you know, like I said, spent the first hundred and fifty thousand or hundred sixty thousand uh, prototyping the original technology, and then when we had the idea to do it at the browser plugin level. You know, I had to go ahead and, you know, pay coders to code uh, <clears throat> browser plugins for the three top browsers, um, you know, i.e. Chrome and Firefox. And, uh, you know, while we could have one done potentially before the others, we really wanted to have, make sure that before we really did a launch push that we had the opportunity for people to select the, uh, whichever of the three uh, they wanted. So we had to go ahead and and, you know, spend a considerable amount of money, uh, you know, architecting the new platform. And then we had to figure out how to get it to, to, to work from a marketing perspective. Um, and, you know, members who become WeCare members, they generate revenue um, over time. So, you know, it, 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 unless it happens to be the week before Cyber Monday, uh, there's not going to be a tremendous amount of concentration in in shopping in comparison. So uh, it takes a while for a member to, you know, generate the, the five or $10 for their nonprofit cause a year that their value uh, represents. Um, and yet our marketing costs when we're doing the marketing uh, happen right away. So we had to sort of uh, advance cash into the business uh, pretty significantly, uh, even once we got the technology working. So let's talk a little bit about the business as it is today. So you've said that you've raised over $7.8 million to date. How much of that money do you keep and how much of that ends up going to the organization? 
when when we don't do any marketing at all, which is you know a, a big chunk of our business, and because people come in over the transom or get referred by a friend or referred by a cause, we just put the money that we get fifty fifty. Uh, if we uh, in certain cases with certain causes, we negotiate that we'll do marketing on their behalf, and then we're able to sort of take our marketing cost out of the uh, equation before we we do the the revenue sh- split just because otherwise we wouldn't have enough money to operate but generally our you know our mission is to try to you know keep our marketing costs as low as possible or or ke- have as much of it be earned media as possible so that we can do the 50-50 split and how many people do you have working on on the we care business there are 14 is there one particular thing in your business that you're most excited about right now? I know you talked about the sweeps for a cause and I'll, I'll include a link to that in, in the show notes. Um, but you know, is, is that, is that the one thing that's kind of focused taking up your time at the moment? Uh, yeah. I mean, for the time that I do spend on that business, again, it's got a team and a general manager and it's, it's quite self-sufficient. Um, but from a, you know, strategy and product roadmap perspective, you know, I'm, I'm, still involved uh, there for you know, 10 or 15 hours a week, um, so much of it on the weekends. Uh, so I am actually pretty excited about the, uh, the Sweeps for a Cause platform because we discovered the fact that that platform could be sort of given away to other marketers as a conversion enhancer um, because we had the rules written in, a, in such a way that I can give uh, – floaters or widgets or light boxes or subscription boxes to other marketers that say, instead of just subscribe to our newsletter, now it says subscribe to our newsletter and enter for a chance to win $10,000. And of course, the conversion rate goes up. Um, And I can empower other marketers to use it. And it's powered by Sweets for a Cause. So that allows them to get a higher yield of newsletter registrations from their current visitors. Um, than they would otherwise get. So that's really exciting because <clears throat> almost every marketer that I talk to is interested in capturing email addresses of visitors to their site. So it doesn't matter if they're a for-profit marketer or a non-profit marketer, B2B, a, a publisher, you know, between the, the CRM touchpoint of an email address or a social CRM, which can also be, be uh, stimulated via, via sweepstakes incentives, uh, you know, those are two really important ways that marketers can continue to communicate with their customers and prospects. So because this is essentially a catalyst that increases that efficiency, um, we, we see it having some pretty broad applications. Uh, it's, you know, only live since last Tuesday. So we haven't really uh, had a chance to do really good split testing of here's what, what we had before and here's what we have now. Uh, but once we have that data, I think uh, you know, a lot of marketers will say, hey, let me use that platform. That sounds like it'll be really useful. Now, earlier we mentioned that you've partnered with over two and a half thousand merchants. Um, how, how did you go about doing that? Did you have to, you know, what, what, how did you market to those people? How did you reach out to them? Um, were you well, using search marketing? What, what was the what was the vehicle for the, for getting to those people? Uh, you know, sim- similarly to the you know three other or three or four other major players that that monetize people's online shopping, uh, it's done through affiliate networks. So the affiliate networks 
such as LinkShare, Commission Junction, and uh, Pepper Jam, which is now part of eBay, you know, they have existing relationships with the merchants already. So they become our conduit to have the conversation with the merchant to see if the merchant has an interest in participating with the program. So it, it adds a layer of efficiency. Uh, we can also integrate merchants into our platform directly, um, but we don't really have a big enough biz dev team to uh, proactively approach uh, merchants about that unless they're particularly large and don't have a, an, a, an affiliate program in place. Um, so we're open to doing that, but uh, my biz dev team is sort of typically busy with other projects. What advice would you give to somebody who's maybe in a similar situation and is trying to maybe get these kind of deals struck with, um, you know, other companies and, and maybe isn't having uh, a lot of luck or getting the kind of the scale they want to get from, from your experience, what, what, what advice would you give somebody like that? Well, I mean, the, you know, I think it's always useful to try to apply the power rule or the 80-20 Pareto rule to your, to your prospects of, you know, um, of various sizes or profitabilities and, and just really try to identify, you know, where are the likely ones that could really move your business forward? Um, because it's very easy to get distracted with a very large list of, of people to talk to, a very large list of, of uh, opportunities. And whether you use it, do it on a whiteboard or in a spreadsheet or Google Doc or whatever, it always sort of rejiggering where you think the lowest hanging fruit is from an ease of, of doing a deal versus how uh, material that deal could be. So balancing those two things against each other, I think, could be really, really useful because there may be some deals where because you have a personal relationship, you can get the deal done. Uh, much more easily. And sometimes that's really great from the perspective of having a case study, but it might not be that material to your business. And on the converse side, you could go decide you want to spend all your time whale hunting and go after those, you know, half a dozen whales that could, you know, any one of them could, could feed your company for two years, but you have to catch. Right. So, um, so finding that balance is, is really key. All right, that was part one of the interview with Kevin Lee of WeCare.com. That's we-care.com. In part two, we'll talk about search engine marketing. Kevin is an SEM veteran and has been in that business for almost 20 years. So in the next episode, Kevin will share some lessons to help software entrepreneurs be more successful with search engine marketing. There's a world where your CRM is powerful, easily configured, and deeply intuitive. Atio makes that a reality. Atio is built specifically for the next generation of companies. It syncs with your data sources, easily configures to their unique structures, and works for any go-to-market motion from self-serve to sales-led. Atio automatically enriches your contacts, syncs your emails and calendar, gives you powerful reports, and lets you quickly build Zapier-style automations. The next generation of companies deserve more than an inflexible, one-size-fits-all CRM. Join 11 labs, replicate, modal, and more, and scale your startup to the next level. Get your free account at atio.com. That's A-T-T-I-O dot com. Hey, are you struggling to grow your SaaS business? 
Well, you're not alone. But the good news is you don't have to settle for slow growth. The right tools can be a growth game changer. And that's where the SaaS toolkit comes in. This free guide cuts through the noise and shows you the 12 essential types of tools successful SaaS startups have used to get to seven figures and beyond. It gives you specific examples and makes practical recommendations to help you find the perfect growth tools for your needs. So stop feeling stuck. Visit thesastoolkit.com to download your free copy and unlock the growth potential you've been missing. That's thesastoolkit.com.